Welcome to episode 19 of The Process, Action, Part 2. Monte Martin. Uh, today we have Sean Vaughn on the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Sean. Oh, not a problem. I appreciate the opportunity. Could you uh, tell the listeners uh, where you're from? Oh, yes. I'm from Lansing, Michigan. Lansing, Michigan, home of the Spartans. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some uh, family up from Flint, Michigan. I don't know too much about Lansing and uh, Detroit, but uh, what was it like growing up in Lansing? It was, I mean, Lansing is, is, is that small town feel. So it was like, this is like the place where you go to raise, raise your family. And so it was, uh, it was interesting because my story, my story was a little different because I was born in Detroit and uh, my biological mother moved to Lansing when I was about seven. And then um, I met a family and, you know, they became my godparents and my biological mother decided to move back to Detroit uh, when I was 10 and I asked to, to stay in Lansing and uh, it was supposed to be a summer a summer turned into like me going to 6th grade 6th grade turned into the rest of my life uh, so so I was wow. like I, I was I was I just became two you know two and one so I had my biological family my Vaughn side and then I had you know my godparents who became my I don't want to say surrogates I mean that's my mom and dad um, the Thomases, so it just gave me gave me those two sides. And Lansing was it was cool. I mean, you know, people say it's nothing going on here, it's boring, and that's usually because it's not a big city like Detroit. Uh, but you know, I went to school here, uh, graduated high school, played football, you know, did all the stuff that you do growing up, and went to Atlanta. And things kind of change when you go from a small town to a big city like that in the South. And attended Morehouse and came back to to Lansing. There's just something about this city that I I couldn't get away from. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Atlanta, hot Atlanta. Uh, What what major struggles did you face uh, growing up? I think you mentioned it, you know, living, you know, away from your your, your mom. How was that growing up? That that was tough. Uh, 
um, I always felt like, I mean, I was, I was a child, so I always felt like I made a decision because I knew this was a way for me to be able to, to better myself so I could better, you know, everyone's life. So it's like, I want to make sure that I can better my, my biological mother and siblings. I want to better their life. And then I want to better my mom, dad, and, and my brother. And I felt like they went back to the struggle. So when they went back to Detroit, they went back to the struggle. And then I was in, you know, the middle class, sub suburban neighborhood where, you know, it was this nuclear family and things were just just great. And it was a struggle for me for for a really long time, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't have my biological father growing up, so it was easy having that relationship with my dad because that was he was he was all I knew and he stepped into a role um, and filled that void and it was easy for us to develop a relationship but I had my mother and my mom and so it was always like what do I do how do I embrace this relationship with my mom am I you know am I kicking my mother to the curb And, and it was tough and then I had my brother but then I had my biological brothers and my biological sister and it was like it was difficult for me to be able to say, yo, I can give the same love to everybody because this is a village that's raising me. And in hindsight, I can see that. But then it was it was hard. It was I mean, I was in my 30s when I finally was able to come to grips with the psychological uh, damage that I was going through at that time because my mother passed and then it made us all come together at her memorial. And I was able to talk to my brothers and my sister and be like, and really tell them like what was going on and, and how I felt during that time. And it was it was a good releasing that was able to take place because I always felt like they hated me and mm-hmm. that I abandoned them. And then, you know, my second brother, he always felt like because I left that I did abandon them. But then my younger siblings, they would still like listen to me and, and follow behind me and look up to me. And he felt like because he was there and now he was the the big brother in the house that they should have been doing that with him so it was just a lot of stuff that for i mean you know 20 20 plus years that never got dealt with and it was it was just tough for me um and even now it's like now that i've embraced my bond side it's like my thomas side where it's like a battle like some of them didn't realize it you know my mother passed and I'm like oh my god my mother died and I couldn't make a better life for her so then people felt like they put in all this work and it was it was for nothing so I owed them and I was like that's not the case you know my mother died and I couldn't do for her what I wanted to do for her not that it takes anything away from what anybody else did because I want to do for all so it was it was tough you know it was tough yeah that could be very difficult um how did you begin to heal those wounds or peel back that la- those layers of the onion to address, you know, certain issues with your family? Was it the catalyst, you know, your mother passing away or was it something that everyone, you know, was 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 thinking about doing one day but just didn't know how to approach the situation? I think it was it was both. I think um when she passed, it it forced us all to come back. And so it was it was, it was crazy how I found out cuz I didn't even know she was sick. I moved to LA in 2009 and I was in communications with her and stuff. And, you know, we were talking, she was doing well. I moved back to Lansing 
in 2012 i'm going through that whole i'm going to that more details later but in 2012 and so i come back here and we were you know um we joined the church and we was going to one of the church members graduation and my biological brother just came up and seen me and was like yo mom died and i ain't seen him talk to him and i didn't even know that she had you know fallen ill and it was just like it kind of just hit me so I was just like done for the rest of the day and so we get to the memorial I get the details we you know my wife and uh, my daughter we go to our daughter we go to Detroit and I'm there with people that I haven't seen for years and it forced us to yeah. to have to deal with it because it was like we just lost somebody that we all loved and cared for and and I've been away from from you all for a really long time and it I'm up there you know, giving my remarks and I'm like, I failed you all. And because that's how I felt. Um, but the the response was like, no, you didn't, we understood what was going on. And it was, and it was, it wasn't what I, what I initially expected, but it was what I needed. Cause then when we went to the repast, it forced my brothers and my sister and I to, to be able to finally talk about what we've been holding on to for this whole time and my one of my brothers was like yo i've never felt that way about you like that wasn't the case and so it was good to hear um that some of us were on the same page but there was still a lot of hurt that uh, had been that hadn't been dealt with over all those years like what advice would you give to someone who went through that similar situation in terms of um i guess either trying to establish relationships with their siblings or um, dealing with assumptions. You know, sometimes distance and non-communication can create uh, assumptions. You create these assumptions and that's how you live off of these assumptions. But what, what advice could you give uh, to that situation? Oh, I mean, you you definitely, first, I, I feel like you, you have to do what's, what's best for you uh, because at that time, uh, I was dealing with the Vaughn side of me. And so the Thomas side of me had been had been fine up until I started sharing like how I felt about my mother's death. And then I had to distance myself from my Thomas side because of stuff that was being said and things that was going on. And at that moment I realized that I had to do what was best for me. So I say first, you know, you you gotta take everything in and you gotta assess the situation, like what's gonna be best for you mentally, physically, and spiritually, and for your family. Because I didn't want my children to have to go through some of the the the, the psychological, the verbal abuse that I was that I was dealing with. I didn't want them to have to see that and and wonder what's going on. So I made a decision to just distance myself from one side of. Uh, of my family because of what was going on because of how I tried to resolve things with the other side and then my granddad died so it was like here uh, we have another death that brings the Thomas side of me all together to have to deal with things that's happened and these assumptions and one of the only thing I say is you have to be able to, to talk because when I distanced myself one person was saying things that wasn't true but I wasn't communicating with anybody to be able to voice the truth or my side or the reason why I had to distance myself because of you know the hurt that that I was experiencing 
And so in hindsight, I, I felt like the distance was what was best at the time, but I should have communicated to certain people um, why I was doing it because the healing process could have taken place a lot sooner before having another death happen to bring us all together. So I say, you know, definitely pray, definitely do what's best for you mentally, physically, and spiritually, and for your family, but just make sure that you communicate because even if the other person doesn't respond, at least I know I said my piece about what was going on and got that out there so that people would know so that they can't make the assumptions because for the past three, four years, they just going off the assumptions the assumptions of why I distance myself because of what somebody else is saying and nobody knew the truth that that really happened all because of how I'm trying to deal with being you know having two different two different families you know yeah that could and you I think indirectly you just brought to my attention something that I think a lot of us deal with and that is carrying a lot on your shoulders outside of your career outside of academia or whatever uh the career you pursue um because koya and i we both grew up in kind of a single parent home with our grandparents while also you know pursuing your own life and so how was that for you you know growing up in lansing michigan uh and pursuing your collegiate career going to howard i mean not howard but uh, <laughs> Morehouse. <laughs> whoa nah. it was, Excuse um, me, Bison. <laughs> you don't hurt me, but uh, uh, how was that? You know, carry all this on your shoulders, on your mind, and in your conscience while also pursuing your career uh, at Morehouse. So, while I was at Morehouse, I was I was just I was focused on, you know, being able to to make something happen. So I was always driven and passionate about like if I can make it, then I can make life better for everybody else. So in the back of my mind all a lot of stuff that I was dealing with it just kind of stayed there and it wasn't it wasn't something that that I was thinking about on a daily basis because I was so focused on okay I gotta make it like I I gotta graduate in four years I I gotta start building my career I want to have I had goals like I wanted to do certain things by age 20 21 and 22 and like i mapped it out and i was like i'm successful by 22 boom my family is straight and that was all i was really thinking about was making it so that i can make life better for them so all of the the hurt the pain the student loans like none of that stuff was at the forefront at that time it was i'm in atlanta i'm the the first to get hit to you know get out of Lansing to get into uh, a four-year college uh Morehouse at that and I just gotta make it I gotta make it and so I, w- I never thought about the weight I mean I, I laugh because like I have broad shoulders so it's like I got God gave me broad shoulders to carry the weight of being a bond and, ben- and being a Thomas so it's like it just sat there but I never thought about it I was like it was like if I'm playing football it was a shoulder pads and I'm going straight to the goal line. And that was, that was just how I, how I just functioned for those four years. So Sean, you know, I went to Tuskegee, Amante went to FAMU. Coming from a college town in Michigan State, why Morehouse? <laughs> why Morehouse? That's, that's funny because I didn't want to go to Morehouse. Um, uh, I wanted to go to Princeton 
or Stanford. So I was like, I wanted to do the Ivy League schools. And um, I was in a program called Upper Bound at Michigan State. So I spent most of my high school career on, at Michigan, you know, on Michigan State's campus, uh, even pretending to be a, a student um, while I was out there taking my, my high school classes and stuff like that. And one of the counselors was a Morehouse graduate. So he has a conversation with my dad and that like, he just like planted a seed. And so next thing I know, I got a video. This was, this was how long ago it was, a VHS. <laughs> it, was a, it was a VHS on Morehouse College. Like it was a, why you should come to Morehouse College. Uh, and I watched the video and I'm like, I'm like, this is whack. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, look at the football team. This and this is my mindset. And so I'm like, whatever. And so my dad is like, yo, you should consider it because you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you know they're gonna do this. And I'm like, well, okay, I can do X, Y, and Z, and and go to Princeton um, or Stanford. And so Stanford never sent me anything, so that kind of eliminated itself. And Princeton, I made it all the way to like the interview and making the, um, what was I? It was, I was on the, the list. So it was, you know, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but I was, uh, if somebody said no, then, you know, I'm next in, in, in line. So I was on that uh, reserve list. And then I went to Atlanta. So this is how awesome Upper Bound is. They took us to Atlanta. Uh, one summer and we went to the AUC and I absolutely fell in love with the culture of Atlanta, the city, the concept of the AUC, Morehouse. I was like, this is awesome. So Morehouse went from being non-existent to being my top three. And I went back as a senior in high school and I never declared the school because I still had those three. Stanford eventually eliminated itself, so it was between Princeton and Morehouse. I got into to Morehouse, and the rest was, I mean, the rest is history. It was like, it was where I was supposed to be. And as I, as I got older, I realized that, like, God is so intentional. Because everything was screwed up for me that was supposed to have been taken care of when I get down there in the fall of 2001 for, for NSO. And... I missed three days of NSO, but then the support system that I had in Lansing and, and, and everybody just came through and my folks, you know, made phone calls and stuff got taken care of. So I ended up being able to, to join my class on Wednesday. And then I get put in a dorm where I meet these six guys. And to this day, like we are, it's, it's a brotherhood. So it's like the, the history and just the, the ideal behind Morehouse College is is a living existence in our lives because stuff got screwed up for me that was supposed to have been taken care of. I ended up getting into this dorm, meeting these guys, creating this this these relationships and these friendships. That's where CTC was born and started um, on the second floor of LLC. And uh, it's, it was just it was just amazing. A school that I didn't want to think about. A program took me down there. The trip changed my life. And Morehouse made me who I am today. I want you to uh, 
compared to me uh, and my and the, and the viewers, uh, what was the experience like uh, going to an HBCU? How 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 do you think that would be compared to a school like like Harvard or Princeton? Well, it's it's it's, it's going to be completely different. Um, I can I can say because I spent three years at Michigan State, you know, a uh, PWI, where I experienced the some of the luxuries of going to those types of schools, and then just being able to say, okay, what would you have at Harvard or what would you have at Princeton? Um, you're not going to have that. And I can't speak for every HBCU, but you're not going to. We didn't have that at, at Morehouse. Um, it was like the the nitty gritty. It was literally you know, bricks and, and concrete. It's not like that now. Um, it's completely, it, it's, the campus has grown since, since I've, um, since I graduated in 2005, but the experience is going to be completely different. Whereas you could walk into a class, I could have walked into a classroom in, in Princeton, New Jersey, and been one of very few um, black males um, in that classroom on that campus. When I stepped into when I stepped on Morehouse's campus, I was one of many black males from all over the world that was there to do one thing, obtain the best education we possibly could, graduate and go out into the world and make a difference. And those four years, that's that's what we we were able to pursue. I mean, they looked like me. They didn't they didn't speak. You know, we didn't talk the same. We didn't dress the same because we came from different backgrounds and different cultures, but we were all brothers. And I didn't see that when I went to law school. It was it was completely different. It was it was like the culture shock. And you're not gonna see that if you if you go to a, a school like Princeton or, or Harvard or any other PWI. I mean it's it's just amazing when you step onto the campus of an HBCU and you see people who, who look like you, but they come from different different backgrounds, different places, you know, around this, the, the world, but they have the same mindset, you know, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. My question is, what, what major did you choose when you first got to uh, Morehouse? Um, and was that your first and only degree? And uh, what career path did you see yourself or what career trajectory did you see yourself on uh, once you completed your degree at Morehouse? Okay, uh, so I went into Morehouse knowing that I was going to be a political science pre-law major and I was going to minor in theater and it never changed. I declared that that major day one and I, I graduated four years later with that and the plan was to go to law school to study entertainment law to extern at a production company so that I can get the knowledge and the tools that I needed to build my own production company. That's kind of where things changed. Uh, so I did uh, graduate political science, pre-law, theater minor. I did attend uh, law school. I went to Thomas M. Cooley Law School right here in Lansing, Michigan. But there was not an entertainment law track because, you know, I'm going to law school in Michigan instead of um, Los Angeles, California. So what I had to do was find a school. I looked at Southwestern Law School in California. I pulled their entertainment law track and I took the classes 
um, while I was in law school here. And my externship did not place me in a production company. It placed me in the Los Angeles neighborhood legal services of LA County, where I was working with domestic violence. I was working with um, guardianships, landlord, tenant cases. I was doing that kind of work and complete opposite of what I thought I was going to be doing while I was doing my externship. And, and it's funny, you know, I gotta, I, I believe that God works in mysterious ways and, you know, I believe that that experience you had in LA was for a reason. Uh, what 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 came out of that experience for you? Oh, you in the vein now. <laughs> so I've always wanted to go to LA. So, so when I was 10, I said I want to be an actor. I started acting. And I was like, I'm going to LA. I tried to get there for undergrad. We 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 all know where I ended up in Hotlanta. I tried to go there for law school. I ended up back here in Michigan, but then I was able to do that externship. And while I was out there, um, one of my Morehouse brothers um, was out there. He's working for Sage Publications. Uh, he introduced me to his church that he was going to, and that's where everything changed. So my whole my spirituality grew, my mindset changed and grew because this church was different. It was a lot of people working in the industry but they were they did not sell out to the industry they didn't compromise like their their beliefs and values for the industry and then i i met an artistic director um pastor trey fernald um eastern sky theater company and i auditioned to be in this theater company and and when i say like my whole life changed my whole life changed i was given one role and I ended up playing, so I was I was <laughs> I was given the role of, of a guard, and then I took that and made it into something different. So I was this new this new talent on a team, and everybody was used to doing things a certain way. So this guard was supposed to do things a certain way, and I was like, yeah, but I don't I don't want to do that. I made different choices. And and uh, Trey Fernald, Pastor Trey Fernald, I call him P. Trey. We all call him P. Trey. He was cool with the choices that I was making. Some people were not cool, and so that's just how that's. I mean, that's how life is, right? When you're doing things and you're operating in purpose, a lot of people aren't going to be cool with the choices that you make while you're operating in your purpose. He gave me the okay. So a small role grew into something bigger eventually I was playing the lead character and before I left you know he there was there was one other main character he was like I believe you could play you could play him but I was playing like the title role and so it just shows just like just how good God is because my mind all I wanted to do was win an Oscar make 20 million a film just like you know Will Smith and all these other other big names I wanted to have a house in LA a house in Miami like I wanted to do what I seen the industry doing and God was like nope that's not that's I didn't put you here for that and I didn't realize that until I went to LA I joined in his presence church I auditioned and got into Eastern Sky Theater Company I toured um, Southern California to Los Angeles County 
doing this play and it was ministry it was it wasn't just entertainment it was like ministry it was we were preaching the gospel but we were doing it it excuse me in an entertaining way and at the end of the show there was an altar call so it was an opportunity for people to come see a show be moved by a story this powerful story and then have an opportunity to give their life to Christ I changed everything I changed the focus of my company I started rewriting scripts I started working on new material everything changed just from my experience here and I never auditioned for anything outside of what I was doing with Eastern Sky and people was like yo you should audition you should go do this because of this and that and as soon as I was like I'm ready to start auditioning God was like it's time for you to go back to Michigan I was like are you crazy are you serious like I spent my whole life trying to get to LA I'm not going back to Michigan like I don't want people to be like oh he went out there he couldn't make it he failed da 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 now I'm caught up and what people thinking I didn't I didn't forget I'm like ain't no way I'm going back to Michigan I spent two weeks in prayer and meditation and then I I did a show and then I told Petray I said God is telling me I have to go back to Michigan it was my last show and they prayed me out sent me on my way agreed and un- with what you know the reason behind it and to this day we're still in contact uh he still sends me stuff and that's that's still my my East Sky family, and I came back here heated. I was mad for a whole year. 2012, we come back. 2009, I move out there. 2012, we come back to Michigan. From 2012 to 2013, I was working back at Baker College as a professor, adjunct professor, and um, academic advisor, and it was a 45-minute drive, and I tell you, every time I drove out there and drove back, I was having arguments with God why am I here I was so mad so mad you talked about you talked about sports you say you played football like what position did you play I played running back and linebacker oh so you played running back and linebacker yes so I want to know uh playing a game of football uh what did that game teach you that carried you on through your uh through your career and what you're doing right now work ethic um you know I'm, I'm five five and a quarter and so that's I mean as a running back that's not unrealistic but as a linebacker you know the tight ends would laugh at me and so it was like it, it's like really this little short guy is is supposed to stop me and, <laughs> and we I'm playing schools out here where the tight ends in high school they're like six something 200 something pounds and I'm five five and a quarter, a buck forty. So it's like, it's like, what, what is he gonna do? But it was like, I realized early on playing football that I wasn't gonna get any taller, but I could work on the areas that that I was lacking. So I started hitting weights. I started getting stronger. I worked on speed. I worked on endurance and and things of that sort. So that when these folks was laughing at me, I I could stop them from laughing. And so it was. It was, you're going to remember, you're going to remember lining up across from me, laughing and, 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 and not laughing for the rest of the game. And I just, I took that with, with everything that I'm doing. It's like, everybody's laughing. I'm not supposed to be able to do this. I'm not supposed to be able to do that. They think it's impossible. 
they think they're going to be able to stop me. And it's like, as long as I put in the work, as long as I'm in the gym, as long as I'm on the track, as long as I'm watching film, I was able to excel on the field. And so I take that same work ethic, that same mentality into other aspects. And I excel and I work to excel uh, also because this is Lansing, Michigan. No one makes movies here. It's, it's, I'm supposed to be in LA. So that's why I was like, I don't want to go back. But it's the work ethic. It's the drive. It's when everybody's saying, yo, they don't support stuff that comes out of Lansing. Nobody's going to go see this. Nobody's going to watch that. It's like, watch, watch me do the impossible because I serve a God that doesn't have any limitations. He thrive on, he thrives on my limitations because that's when people can see, see him move. Yes, I'm not supposed to be able to do it, but he can. I can do anything as long as I'm I'm doing it through him. So it's just it's keeping that faith and that work ethic, and it's like knowing that he's a multiplier. So if I can only hit 300 on the bench, then I'm gonna take that and go write a script. That that same mentality. I can hit 300 on the bench, but with a spotter, I might be able to hit 310. Right. So God is my spotter. So. I go write 10 pages and I'm struggling. Oh, I didn't finish writing 30 pages. I didn't finish writing the script. Oh, I don't have the money to shoot a feature film. We got 3,000 in the bank. We need 30,000. He's a multiplier. So we put in the work and he and we finished this movie and we never hit that 30,000 budget, but we're still have we still have a project that's done. We're still in a position to get everybody paid and who gets the last laugh definitely not the tight end that's laid out on his back <laughs> <laughs> i got i got i got a question for you so you, you you talk about you know god being a multiplier um i think as humans we get caught up in our abilities sometimes and we forget to lean on god for his strength and, and, and for his promises you know what i mean i, I feel like you, you lift 300 on the bench, you get up from the bench and you say, thank you, God, I got 300, but not to try him and say, let me try more with your help. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think sometimes even career paths, we get complacent in, in, in sustainability, if you will. We'll get a job just to work nine to five, just to say, you know, thank you, Lord, for blessing me with this job, but not tapping into uh, your purpose and your faith and your potential. So could you talk a little bit about what it was like to you know, discover your purpose, but even the challenges or what it was like to say, you know, this is my purpose and I'm going to pursue this wholeheartedly and I'm just going to have faith and you know what I mean? I'm just going to pursue this. Uh, how was that process for you? Uh, so for me, it, it began in 2013. So I, I spent the an entire year upset, literally upset. Um, I didn't write anything. I already had a slate of projects ready to go. Uh, I had already formed my company, but I was working at Baker College. Uh, I met Ken. We were going to do a production called Jitney, and he was he was already a part of this this team. And they have done plays, you know, all over the city and stuff. It's like regional theater, and I was I was the the new the new face to the team, and. We he tells the story way better than, than I do. I didn't talk to anybody there because I didn't I didn't know anybody there. I'm like the complete opposite of what you think an actor is. I'm I am a complete introvert, and so I'm just there to do my job and and to leave pretty much. And um, so he sparks up a conversation. I'm like, yo, you know, this is what 
what what I'm really trying to do, what I'm really trying to do. And we have a meeting. I come with my briefcase and my scripts and all this stuff. I'm like, boom, this is this is the project. It's called Tolerance. Like, what do you what are you trying to do? Because you know, if you are on board with my vision, then let's let's talk about next steps. We we don't meet. The production falls through. Uh, we never do Jitney. We fall out of contact, and I'm still working at Baker. Eventually, we get back into contact, and we shoot this short film. And then Baker decides that they're gonna let some people go. I have been working at Baker since I graduated from from Morehouse. I started working there in 2006, and I only took that break from when I was in LA, and then I came back and you know pretty much picked up where I left off at. But then they let me go and then they kept like this new this new hire on the team. But it was like a it was like something that I should have seen coming because they started cutting my positions that I had throughout the campus to the point where they just, you know, I wasn't teaching, I wasn't tutoring, I wasn't advising. Like everything was gone. And when you talk about being complacent, it's like you God is only gonna let you be comfortable so long so it's like my dad always said he's gonna move you by force or by course so I was forced out of this this place of comfort remember I started working there in 2006 why did I go back to it when I moved here because it was something comfortable is what I knew I didn't have to go and interview for something else I could just go back to my old job what I already knew and what I was doing God was like time is up here so I'm like now what am I gonna do I'm laid off then this teaching opportunity comes up with Teach for America through AmeriCorps. I'm like, oh, you know, I've taught. This is cool. Um, I think it'll be, it's, they need black males in the classroom. And I'll go teach fifth grade because maybe I can sow into these young folks' lives and get them to make better choices. So like the high schoolers that I was mentoring at that time, they're not struggling to graduate. They're not in recovery classes they're not playing football but they have you know a 1.2 or a 0.5 because the school district has changed the eligibility requirements so that pretty much you can fail and still play we just care about you playing we don't care about what you have in your head so then when it's time to graduate you can't do anything I'm like i need to be able to reach these kids sooner so then i do teach for america and it's only supposed to be two years. God was like, it's a two year commitment. After two years, you're doing production full time. I'm like, ah, man, okay, cool. I talked to my wife, like, look, we gotta move to Madison Heights. I'm gonna be teaching in Detroit. Uh, it's a two year commitment. And then I'm doing production full time. So I'm planting that seed. Here's the plan. This is what we're doing. Ken and I have made two shorts and we've done, we have a web series. So we're moving, we're moving in production. And God is saying now it's time to be able to to move full uh, fully into doing production. She's like, cool. So we move. I'm teaching, and Eastern Sky, the uh, they're in a film festival here, and they they're winning like awards. And he asks if I can go and represent the team, and I go, and I'm talking to these sound guys who are doing it for a time, and I'm like, how did you know when it was time to do it? And it was like. You just have to step out on faith. I mean, you know, once you once you do it, you have to do it because you have to be able to provide for your family. You have to be able to eat. So you have to step out on faith and believe 
that this is what you're supposed to be doing. So here they are planting another seed in into my um, spirit. Okay, cool. So I like where I'm teaching, and I'm like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do three years here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my three years here so I can get my provisional certification, and then I can just teach whenever I want to teach. So my second year, when I say all hell broke loose, all hell broke loose. God does not like. He changed the whole dynamics for everybody. I brought over five teachers. I was like, yo, this is a great place to teach. I brought over five teachers. They was like, this is horrible. They quit. They left. They was like, it was a mess. And I I felt so bad. And it was just disastrous. And I was like, yeah, I'm out of here after after this year. Because I should have been obedient. I should have tried to be defiant. And as soon as I made that decision, I, I had a piece about going there and teaching because I knew it was it I knew I was done so I created the situation by being defiant and I didn't enjoy being there to the point where God was like now you go listen to me again by force or by course so I put myself in another forceful situation and then I have peace so I go there and I'm enjoying it I'm like hey guys I'm out of here after this year and they're trying to keep me and all this other stuff but I'm like I got to do what God is telling me to do. Like I, I have a company that I'm getting ready to, to build and work on, and that's what I have to do. So I jumped. Uh, my wife was on board. She, she still works um, full time, and I do production full time. And we haven't lacked or been without anything. We've just literally watched God. Um, like, like she literally got a promotion that like triples her her salary like today she did a verbal acceptance and this is all just because we we was like we go step out on faith like she bought into a vision that I was given and she supported and I just trusted God and believed in God and I said this is what we gotta do we gotta we gotta we gotta do it and he hasn't he hasn't shown us anything but grace and his favor since I decided to be completely obedient and to take myself out of the equation because my personality is like I got to know how something's going to happen. I got to calculate everything. I got to know where this is going, where that's going. And God was like, no, you don't. All you got to do is what I'm telling you to do and let me worry about how it's going to happen. And I said, you know what? You're right. That's what I'm going to do. And it's just been awesome. So who is Sean today? And what advice would you give the younger Sean? Man, Sean today is like—he's. Uh, well, I don't, don't want to say younger Sean was was cocky, but he was just mean. Uh, and it was—it's was funny because my full name is Christopher Sean Vaughn Thomas, and uh, I stole this bit from like Jada Kiss was on the DMX track, and he was like, uh, "What do you say?" Uh, Jada's nice guy kisses the monster, D block and double R's. My so I would say, like, Chris is the nice guy, Sean is the monster. And so it was like, if you knew Chris, Chris was cool, but if you was messing with Sean, like, Sean would like cut you not physically, but like, I would like verbally thrash you, like, just and and today I'm like, yo, that's just that's not that's not cool, like, that's not what people want, like, having that that mindset or that demeanor doesn't build the relationships that you need to be able to foster to be able to move ahead 
because it took me a long time to get to a place spiritually where I could walk into a room and like the presence of God can be felt. And I and that's not like me boasting on on Sean today. That's like me saying the God that's in Sean today is just is is a lot stronger than the Sean of of yesterday. Cause not that he wasn't there, but it was like Sean, younger Sean was always trying to do everything and figure everything out. And he didn't have to. He would give up on a relationship just because he didn't like the way the girl dressed or she cut her hair or she had toe knuckle hair. Like, just like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, I'm done. And it's like, now it's like, oh, I'm married. I have three kids, a beautiful wife, three beautiful kids. And just being able to get through, like, Shaw yesterday was like, I ain't doing I ain't getting married. Forget that. But today it's like, marriage is awesome. It's a sanctity. It's a covenant. It's, it's going to make you a better person. It's going to teach you how to love. It's going to teach you how to compromise. It's going to teach you how to appreciate things and, and to work for things that that have not, that's not going to benefit you, but that's going to benefit everybody. And when you was young, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to be able to do something that was going to make everybody else's life better today you you can understand and appreciate that and you just got to be able to trust God because doing it your way it it took you a lot longer to get here but today I can appreciate things a lot better and I can and I can I can speak from a place where God has has actually been in, in my life from health conditions to to physical conditions to mental you know the psychological things that I dealt with and to just you know having a budget that's literally you like this is at a deficit like I don't know like how we gonna get through this but never ever ever living in that deficit because like God just continues to provide younger Sean would be flipping out like pulling his hair you know ready to shoot up the place figuratively not literally uh so it's just it's just amazing just to see to be in a place where people's like yo you've changed there's something different and just telling that younger sean like yo embrace god and everything that he has for you because he's going to change your life drastically and not just your life but those connected to you could you talk a little bit about sincerely brenda uh yes uh so sincerely brenda is a film that my production partner Ken, uh, he had this story in his, and you know, in his spirit for quite some time, and he was just, you know, dealing with like, how do I write this? Do I write it? And eventually, we just got to a point where I was like, bro, just write it, and, and he wrote it, and it it's a it, it's it's after the sudden death of of his wife. So the main character Charles, his wife passes, and Charles is a recovering alcoholic, and he has to reconcile with his two estranged sons over a weekend. But the encounter, excuse me, reveals skeletons from the family's past that he must accept or risk losing his sons forever. So you have you have a father, you have this 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 man who's dealing with his own demons, and you have his two sons. And I play one of the sons. I play the I play the youngest, the youngest son, Michael. And all three have things that they're dealing with, but there's something from the past that only Michael and Charles are aware of that no one else knows but it really drives my character and and why my character acts the way that he that he does um and it's it's powerful because it it forced me 
literally to like step into a character that that I've I've never played. He's like the complete opposite of of who I am. But I was telling Ken like I'm I'm living this story right now because my grandfather passed and then I'm having issues, you know, with my dad and all that stuff. So it's like I'm Michael is is Sean. Like I'm living Michael's life right now in real life and I'm bringing these things to set and I'm trying to you know build and, and develop this character and it shows men that we can be vulnerable that we we don't we, we're more than you know one dimensional that we're dimensional characters that we can we can cry we can you know we can be happy we can be upset we can love you know one another um, as men we can we can have strong women in our lives who who support us and and make us better and it's it's just a, a story about forgiveness and redemption that allows you to be able to to see things a little differently it's like you know you hold on to unforgiveness and you don't even realize what it's doing to you you mad at somebody because they said something or did something but they ain't even thinking about you like you are depressed and you are you know full of anxiety and this and that and they living their best life like they ain't got they're not even thinking about you so the film like deals with those types of situations where it's like you you have to you you have to forgive yourself you have to forgive you know those who have hurt you and and you have to be able to find redemption and move on and get to a better place and sincerely brenda is is all about that the generational curses that we place on our ourselves how how the 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 sins of the father can affect the 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 sons uh it's it's a lot a lot in this this film um and i think it's it's something that we definitely know not just our culture not just the black community um but every everybody everybody can can relate to it so sean shooting this movie what can you say is the importance of mental health and health awareness oh wow uh, it's it's funny that you asked that question because in the table read uh, we we addressed that and you know uh, we said you know one of the characters we was like you know she's she's like bipolar and it's not diagnosed and we was like well you know black people don't go to we don't go to therapy like that's not what we do and like this film shows like how we can go undiagnosed because there's some stigma about going and seeking help or telling somebody else about what you're going through and every day something happens right where a white individual shoots somebody kills up a whole bunch of people and what do they say he he's he's mentally ill he has health issues but then when you change the face and it's one of our people you know we're we're poor we're just savages we're this we're that but we have we have the same mental conditions going on and if we never seek help then we we never can diagnose those things we never can can move on and we can't better ourselves so I, I think it's very important and the film deals with it like just that awareness of if something doesn't seem right don't cover it up talk about it try to get help find someone outside of your circle who you can talk to who you can trust and you, you're gonna you're not gonna feel like they're judging you so that you can you can either talk it out work it out 
get diagnosed if it's something serious and get the you know the the medications or the help that you need so that you you know you're not living subject to to these conditions in your experience how can storytelling be a means of healing for society wow so my my mission you know, as a storyteller and just uh the ctc media group is to transform lives one film at a time and there's three pillars well there's four pillars first we stand under first corinthians 3 7 so neither he who uh <clears throat> you know plants or waters is anything except god who makes everything grow so as a storyteller i'm playing the seed as a storyteller i'm doing some water but then i'm opening up a door for god to be able to come in there and allow things to grow and that's to edify to educate and to entertain and i i believe that storytellers have the responsibility of taking a topic and finding a way to be able to plant that seed and water it and allow some type of door to be open where people can have self-reflection and healing can take place so that god can go in and move and that's where the edification comes in that's where the the education piece comes in and it can be entertaining like it doesn't have to be these you know whitewashed sterile characters where the movie is only appealing to you know those of the church and i'm not i'm not you know knocking that movement that faith-based because i mean i i believe we are faith-based we're not faith-based a <laughs> we're faith-based b because it's a little more edgier it's grittier it's real life we're we're taking stuff that happens for real and we're putting it into uh, a cool a visual um, aspect that people could sit there, get popcorn, get some soda, and walk out like, man, I, I I need to change something, or I need to tell somebody to come see this because I think this will this will be helpful for what they're going through. And storytelling should be transformative. Like it, it should do more. You shouldn't do more than just get a laugh. You should do more than just have people sitting on the edge of their seat. When that when those end credits roll, somebody should 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 leave out of there thinking about what they just seen in a way that's gonna change their life forever. If one person does that, then as a storyteller, you've done your job. And if if they have it, then all you've done was create the same uh, entertaining popcorn movies that we see where you know theaters are just played with comic book characters and sequels and and nothing that really feeds people's spirits or is or is edifying and there's nothing wrong with that stuff i mean every now and then you need a break from reality but i think that you can take reality and you can mold it in a cool way so that you know you i don't beat people over the head with the bible with my movies but there's something in there you know there's there's a forgiveness piece there's a faith piece there's a there's the redemption piece there's a love there's something that's like the fruits you know you know by the fruits that you bear there's going to be some fruit up in there so that once you digest it hopefully it's it's doing something to you internally and externally i'm from liberty city miami florida uh monte from tallahassee florida and you're from michigan uh we all can agree that it's a lot going on with the youth and you know the, the direction they're headed as far as they're thinking about they're thinking so highly of sports uh, uh music uh etc 
what programs and initiatives do you think should be in place to bring awareness to to me to the media you know what you're doing well one of the things one of the things that i think is is just being able to give them that exposure um you know like you said it like they they see you know the sports they see the the music they see that stuff and it's glorified and it's like oh if you can run a football if you can shoot a basketball you can make millions of dollars you get endorsements and all this stuff but there's there's other ways you know and i think and i was having a conversation with with um the father of one of the the actors and we were, we were talking about this this very thing is you know he's from detroit and it's like you know if you in the city and you know the the, the dope boy come around flashing new kicks a lot of money this nice car and got some ladies in there like boom you know you can have this like you want this you want what i got so it's visually appealing like yeah i want that what i gotta do okay well i'm gonna give you this and then now you 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 working for the dope man now you got a lot of money now you got these new kicks now you have this this nice car now you have some ladies you have all this material things that you think is gratifying because you've seen something visually appealing and you wanted that so then if i go and say hey man you know that's not the way to do it like why don't you you know try to get an education why don't you do this why don't you do that well the dope man just you know doubled your financial stability in like two weeks and what i'm talking to him is going to take you know some years so it's like this this what's what's the the benefit the cost benefit analysis it's like well i can do this and i'm gonna risk this but for the time being i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna live my best life versus taking all this time to do what you're saying so it's like even even in the film industry so if i say oh you know i make movies and we were shooting in a neighborhood over here and these guys came over there and they was like y'all making a movie i was like yeah we're making a movie like you know i'm from I'm from here, you know, I went to Sexton, around the corner, da-da-da-da-da, and like, oh, this is awesome, so they buy this, like, like this is something I want to do, and so they're seeing it, there's that visual aspect to it, so now when he's like, instead of just having an interest, oh, I want to make movies, he's watching somebody who, who's from his city, shut down this store to shoot a scene for a movie, it's the visual aspect of it, so now I've done what the dope man what the dope man was doing right i rolled up and i have this elaborate this it wasn't it was a lap so we have this full production we have the lights we have this we have that and we have the generator we have people like yo can i go through here like it's it's a respectful situation at a store where the guy is like man we have the cops up here all the time and i'm like yo but now you have a different situation now we're here which means we brought the presence of god here so it's completely different everybody's acting a little bit different and he's and these young boys are able to see that so now what we do is we we create a program where we can get the young folks into and have this exposure to media to film to production to screenwriting to whatever it is so now that it's not just an interest but it's be it's something visually that they're able to see witness and now able to take part in so then if, as long as they keep pursuing it i'm making movies in the city in the state and i can create an opportunity for them and so now it's like okay okay i can do that i'm all right with that and then when i'm like okay i need you to make sure you're doing well in school now now i can throw in you do well in school boom you intern on set you go from interning to working now i'm paying you right you go from a production assistant to 
doing the camera so now they're able to to get all this exposure and it's like now i'm like keep your books together and then i'm like if you go through the program and you go to you know to the community college or to michigan state and you go into the program guess what we've had michigan state graduates work on our film and look at what's happened to look at what's happened to them as a result of them being connected to the the source not that that i'm anybody but because they bought into a vision that God placed in me, they were connected to that. And God allowed them to be blessed and that favor to extend, you know, onto them. So I'm like, yo, you go to school. So now I can I can start to get them to to think things differently and see things differently. You got to stay out of trouble. You got to keep a 2.5 or higher. We want to get you to a three point. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. And then here's the now you're reaping what you're sowing. And I think that we, we have to be willing to to take those risks and give these young folks those opportunities because the other the what what's visually appealing to them is well no I want to run a run a football or shoot a basketball I want to go roll with the dope man because they're going to see this fast fast money they're going to see this fast lifestyle but then if we can change that mindset like yo we want you to have something stable we want you to be able to live out your dreams and we're going to provide the opportunity and show you but you have to do this so you got to be willing to put in the work because i didn't wake up you know i wasn't born in 83 and woke up at 35 and shot a movie like i had to put in the work i had to go through my wilderness experience to get to the promise that God had for me and I want you to be able to get to your promises and here I'm going to help you do that. I want to uh, thank you for you know sharing your wisdom as it relates to you know following your purpose um, stepping out on faith and allowing God you know to be that spotter in some instances. Um, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? Oh yeah you know just when whenever you you doubt whenever you worry whenever you question that's when you allow uh, that's when you allow the enemy to come in and, and for you to be discouraged from what God is really trying to do just make sure that you you pray make sure that you you stand on faith and you you don't have to jump just because you know I'm saying I jumped or jump because you know other people jumped and this is what happened you 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 have to jump at your level of of readiness and preparation precedes readiness so as long as you're preparing as long as you're putting in the work gotta multiply your efforts and he'll he'll let you know when it's time for you to jump and you just gotta trust him and step out step out on faith because if not you, you're gonna be saying i shoulda coulda woulda you're gonna be having all these regrets so you're gonna be thinking man what could life have been like had i just done this and um, don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't compare yourself. Don't let jealousy to creep in just because somebody else is living their best life and they doing this and they doing that and it's taking you a little while longer. You got to know that what God has for you is for you. And just because, I mean, I have friends that's making a, a lot of money. And if you look at the degrees that I have, I should be making a lot of money. But I, I didn't choose money. I chose purpose and purpose had a cost and it was me being willing to sacrifice some things to be able to walk in that purpose and that's what you have to do you got to be willing to sacrifice some things you got to understand what God has for you is for you and he's only going to give you his best and you just got to keep moving forward 
where can the people find you? So I am on. So you can you can find me on social media, uh, Sean Vaughn, uh, IG, Instagram, the Sean Vaughn, Facebook, Sean Vaughn. You can find me at CTC uh, Media, um, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at sincerelybrenda.com. So that's the website for the film. So that's that's the easy link to be able to you know access all things sincerely Brenda. Um, you know where when we are behind the scenes, the uh, can, where we're gonna be showing the movie. Um, you can get all of our links um, to to my personal pages and to to the CTC page, uh, sincerelybrenda.com. There'll be a hub, and then Sean Vaughn on everything else except for IG the Sean Vaughn. This concludes episode 19 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. They're chanting, trust the process. (laughs) Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be how I want to be remembered like that was my thing you know oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave not only on the industry but the effect that I want to leave on people being a whole human being going through my obstacles going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things but for it to inspire change